So right now, a paper is being passed around uh, to you. And uh, we're going to do something with that at the end of service. So just hang on to it. Tuck it in your Bible or something. And, uh, and I want to start right in on the final message in a series that we have called The Struggle is Real. We've been talking about spiritual warfare. We've been talking about this reality for the last three Sundays and this morning again that we have an enemy. The Bible communicates clearly that we have an adversary and he wars against the people of God. And more than anything else, my hope in this series has just been to shine a light on the enemy's playbook. That each of us would recognize, maybe more clearly than we have, that, that the devil is scheming against the church. And he's scheming because you have a responsibility. You have a purpose that God has given you in your life. Regardless of your vocation or your lot in life, you have a purpose. And the last thing that the devil wants is for you to discover and develop and be deployed into the purpose that God has for your life. The devil is not concerned with complacent Christians. He's just not. But when you begin to recognize the influence that God has given you and the authority that we have in Christ's name, all of a sudden hell trembles. And Satan begins to scheme against God's plan and purpose for your life. And so I just want to shine a light on his playbook. And, and, and just to have a little fun with this on our last Sunday, we've been looking at some of the so-called struggles that we would call struggles in this life. Not really the spiritual warfare things, but, you know, just the things that, that are frustrating. And, and I want to show you a couple. Maybe you've had a situation like this uh, situation where you said, please, God. Don't let me see any more sales because you know I'm weak. You know where the, your budget's tight and everything goes 50% off or buy one, get one. You had that struggle before? Maybe that's a struggle some of you faced or, or summer's coming. And so I know this is a real struggle for some of you guys. But exercise, I thought you said extra fries. <laughs> Trying to get, get back in shape. Or, or now next Sunday's Easter. And uh, you might have had this struggle today, but next Sunday we're all going to be able to relate to this one right here. Parking at church. <laughs> the struggle is going to be real if you show up late next Sunday. I'm just telling you, the struggle is going to be real. And on that note, let me just ask if you could help us with that. Because we, we are tight in our parking and usually guests don't show up 15 minutes early. And so if you could help us... Uh, we have parking that is uh, available off street because we live in a residential area here and there's plenty of room to park there. But I also want to uh, point your attention to uh, a parking lot across the street there uh, towards the school. There's several spaces there and a lot of you guys do that already. You drop your family off or if you drive by yourself and park over there and make the short walk across the street. That really helps us out. Uh, last thing we would want is for somebody to come to church next Sunday and say, there's nowhere to park and then leave. Uh, so you can help us with that. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you've had this struggle and maybe even today this was the struggle for you. When the pastor says, you may be seated. Like, yes. So if you were tired today, don't worry. I'm not going to have you stand too many more times in the service. Uh, and then this week I had to laugh at this. Uh, at some point this week I got this picture sent to me by Jordan Blessing of her daughter. She was standing in line. This is Paisley. Uh, when, Waiting in line gets to be too much. So 
was one of the little girls in our, our preschool class upstairs, and Paisley was struggling with impatience. So we've all had struggles. And uh, the truth is, though, some things we call struggles, they're really first world problems, right? I mean, they're not real struggles. They're just inconveniences. But then there are those things that really are struggles. In our lives. And I don't want to understate those or, or even, uh, presume that everybody here is just doing great on Palm Sunday and you just want to, you know, just wave your praise to the Lord and hallelujah, let's have a great time. Sometimes we come to church with nothing but faith and grit and determination. And if you were honest with us, you'd say, honestly, there's nothing in my heart that wants to be here today or in my emotions at least. It's just a commitment to be in God's house. And I want to commend you for that faithfulness because you recognize that that there's something more to this this thing called faith than just living by feeling that that we don't come to God's house to say what are you going to do for me this morning preacher sing my song preach a good message tell a funny story now you got up and you came here you said you know what it's the Lord's day and I'm going to worship my savior I'm going to worship Jesus today and in spite of what I feel I'm moving by faith And for some of us, we're in a season where the struggle is really real in our lives. If I had time today, I could tell you several stories uh, in my own life and and even in some lives of the people in our congregation that really were hit with a difficult struggle this past week. I mean, the last seven days has absolutely blindsided some of us. And and maybe you're that way. The reality is we can have confidence in the midst of the struggle. And I want to tell you why today as we move through Ephesians Chapter 6. If you want to find your place there, that's going to be where we camp out. Uh, I'll share a lot of verses today and many of them we'll put on the screen for you. But just by uh, way of introduction, maybe this is something you didn't know, but you know, the name devil means slanderer. The, The name Satan means adversary. So if you don't know anything more than the name of the devil, the name of Satan, then you know enough to understand that he is our enemy and that he is against us. You know, I heard this statement said years ago, and I believe it's true, that there is no winning without warfare. And there's no opportunity without opposition. And there's no victory without vigilance. There are some things that God has for us, but we have to strive for them. Because we do have an adversary. Because there is a slanderer. And he doesn't want uh, to see the goodness and the promises of God gift wrapped and, and dropped in your lap. And so there has to be a vigilance. There has to be a warfare. There has to be a determination in our heart to have and receive all the things that God says we can have. Let me tell you one of the schemes this morning of the devil. One of his greatest schemes is discouragement. Discouragement. He wants to bring discouragement against your life. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Over the last three weeks, we've worked our way through the armor of God, and now we're on verse 17, and here's what it says. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, let's just camp out for a moment around this idea of a helmet of salvation. Now, when Paul was writing this from a Roman uh, prison, as he's writing this letter, he's likely looking at a soldier. And so I want to tell you about the soldier's helmet and what it would look like. The Roman soldier always had his helmet with him. 
Uh, it would often either be strapped to his belt or else it would be uh, over his shoulder. It had a strap on it of leather that would fasten tight. That way, everywhere he went, he had this helmet with him. Everywhere he went, it was a bronze helmet. And he never let it left it by his side because if he went into a conflict, the first thing he was going to do is put that helmet on. Because he understood that when you're in a battle... One of the most susceptible areas to injury is your head. And in the same way, in spiritual warfare, we need to understand that we have been given a helmet because one of the most susceptible places for the enemy to attack us is in our mind. Come on, can somebody that's lived two days say amen to that? We all know. We can all get in in agreement on that. The devil wants to attack our minds. He launches fiery darts of discouragement against the church, against God's people. And and a lot of people, maybe you would even describe yourself that way today. You haven't quit. I mean, you're here. You haven't given up. You haven't, you haven't abandoned the faith. But if you're honest, you would say, I'm discouraged. I, I just, I'm just discouraged today. That's the way that I feel. And let me just say something here on the front end of discouragement. First of all, we need to recognize that not every feeling of discouragement is an attack of the enemy. In fact, there are times in our life where, you know, discouragement is not only natural, but it's the appropriate emotion to feel. I don't think I have to remind anybody today, but we live in a fallen world. There's discouraging things that happen. There's there's things that that just make our hearts sink. And, and sometimes to, to feel discouraged about something is, is not an attack of the enemy. It's a reminder that, that, that we live in a fallen world. That God intended us for more. And so sometimes we just feel discouraged. Pastor H.B. London, uh, he's from Pasadena, California. He wrote about the importance of being able to retrace your feelings to discover why you're having them. Here's what he said. He said, if it's fatigue, then it makes sense. If it's failure, then it makes sense. Knowing the cause doesn't make the discouragement go away, but there is help in being able to say, hey, I'm really tired, or I blew it. Or, he writes, if I can trace my feelings to family problems or finances, then at least I have a reason for what's bothering me, and I can work on it. Sometimes it's not a matter of spiritual warfare. Sometimes it's a matter of a little self-analysis. And maybe you just need some more sleep, or some better exercise, or maybe you just need to get a babysitter and have date night or something. You know, you can just be discouraged for natural reasons. You know, a week ago, Friday, not this past Friday, but a week ago, it was about 40 degrees out and it was raining. And some of you may remember that day. It was a miserable day out. But on that day, I went out with a friend of mine and uh, we did a five mile kayaking trip down Muddy Creek. Now, for some of you, that's the definition of misery. You'd say, why? Why would you do that? But I'm going to tell you why. Because I've discovered that, that at the intersection of Christian community and adventure... I find great encouragement. When I can just get out with a brother in Christ or friends that that love God and we can just do something, even something a little bit stupid, just some adventure, some excitement, some fun. 
I find great encouragement in that. That's why when it was 20 below zero back in March, we went up to New Hampshire and, and summited uh, Mount Lafayette. And we, we climbed Mount Washington. And, and, and I love doing that stuff. But honestly, if the Christian friendship factor wasn't a part of it, I probably wouldn't do it. But I find encouragement when those things come to a crossroads in my life. And for some of you, you just need to recognize that, hey, maybe I'm discouraged for a very practical reason. And there's, there's something that God has given me the ability to discern through my emotions. But that's not really the emphasis of what I'm talking about today. Because there are other times, I've experienced it, and, and I know probably you have too, where it's like a cloud just settles in on my mind and on my heart. And it's, it's unexplainable. Often for me, sometimes, it happens after an incredible moment of spiritual victory. Maybe we had a record-breaking attendance on a, a Sunday morning, and maybe I, I preached a message, and man, the words just flowed like a river, and, and I thought everything went great. And then, no sooner can I get up on Monday morning and just feel like I'm in a funk. You know, just a cloud, and you go, what is that? And it's in those moments that I've learned that it's time for me to tighten up the chin strap on the helmet of salvation. Those are the moments that I have to just kind of reframe my thinking and, and not allow the enemy to fire his darts into my mind any longer. And I have to put on again the helmet of salvation because the helmet of salvation protects your mind and your thoughts. Let me show you a powerful verse about spiritual warfare. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. Here's what it says about spiritual warfare. It says, we demolish arguments... And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Sometimes that's what you need to do. You need to just arrest your thoughts. To take every thought captive. To not sit there and dwell on it and mull on it and try to figure it out. When I I recognize that this is just a scheme of the enemy, I don't waste any time evaluating the situation or or self-diagnosing. I just change my mind. I put on the helmet of salvation. I tell the enemy to just get out of here. I don't have time for you, devil. I crank on a good worship song. I do something to, you know, to just release myself from that burden of discouragement that the enemy wants to cloud my thinking with. I want to tell you something about this helmet of salvation that is is so key to us understanding the power of it. It's the reality that the word salvation means victory. It means victory. So when you put on the helmet of salvation, you are putting on the helmet of victory. Now listen, I I know a lot of people that are saved. They... They serve God, they know God, they they read their Bible, but they would describe themselves as anything except victorious. They feel defeated, they feel discouraged, they feel downtrodden, they they don't feel victorious in any way, but the helmet of salvation means victory. And so in spiritual warfare, hear me on this this morning, in spiritual warfare, it's important that you always remember, we fight from the high ground. When it comes to spiritual warfare, we fight from the high ground. You know, I think about the story in Numbers 13. It's the story of of God's people, the Israelites, and how God had delivered them uh, out of captivity in Egypt, and, and they were saved, and they were set free from their oppressors. But more than that, they were also promised 
a land that would be their own. They were promised, as the Bible describes it, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of blessing, a land of provision from God. And so in Numbers 13, Moses assigns 12 spies to go and to scout out the land that God had already promised was theirs. So those 12 spies go out and they look at the land. But in that story, we learn that out of the 12 spies, only two of them were actually wearing the helmet of salvation. Only two of them were wearing the helmet of victory. Because when those 12 spies went into Canaan and they looked at the land, 10 of them saw how big the fortified city was. They saw the impenetrable walls. 10 of them saw the giants that lived in that city. 10 of them came back and they said, there's no way we can win this war. But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, they looked at the walls around that city and they said, man, that looks like a great place to live. They looked at the size of those giants and they looked at their weapons and they said, we can't miss a target that big. (laughs) They looked at the the harvest that was growing in the fields and their stomach started growling. I mean, there was this this ambition to, to go and take what was theirs because they had the helmet of victory on. And they believed that the same God that had saved them and promised them provision was going to lead them to it. But how many of you know that's not true of a lot of believers' lives? God saved us. He brought us out of a lot of stuff. But we're not living with the confidence that God's going to bring us in to all the promises that He's given us in His Word. And the reason is because they fail to trust in the helmet of victory. You're not... You're not Fighting from the high ground. Here's what you need to understand about spiritual warfare. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Amen? The cross is behind us. Amen? The, The grave is conquered. Can we just start before Easter gets here? The tomb is empty. Jesus has won the victory for us. It's already settled. And so what the enemy's trying to do is he's trying to keep you from tapping into everything that God has already purposed and provided for you. He wants you to sit outside of the city of blessing that's already yours and make you believe you can't have it. But what he knows is he's a defeated foe. He just doesn't want you to figure that out. And so when the enemy comes in, with discouragement, we need to put on the helmet of victory, the helmet of salvation that tells us that victory is already ours in Christ Jesus. There's another verse that talks, Paul actually talks about this helmet of salvation. It's in First Thessalonians. And he, he talks about how this helmet protects us from discouragement. It's in First Thessalonians 5 and verse 8. Here's, here's what he says about Overcoming discouragement with the helmet of salvation. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober. That just means clear thinking. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Can I tell you that not only is the helmet of salvation the helmet of victory, but the helmet of salvation is also the hope of salvation. That's what Paul is saying, that we put on this helmet because it is the hope of salvation. Now, last week we touched a little bit on intimidation. But the reality is, if a soldier going into battle loses hope, he's lost the battle. 
He's lost the will to fight. But if you hold on to the hope of your salvation, then God can bring you through to victory when you're under a cloud of discouragement. I want to just encourage you for a moment in this hope of salvation. And I want to explain it this way. You're saved. If you know Jesus, you're saved. But you're also being saved. And you also will be saved. Salvation is done, it's being done, and it will be done. And so when I say you need to put on the hope of salvation as a helmet, I want you to understand what that means. First of all, it means that today, I am as saved as I'll ever be. I can't be more saved than saved. Either you're drowning or you're rescued. And if you've accepted Jesus in your heart as your Lord and Savior, it's done. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it's finished. That means the the wrath of God has been satisfied. All we're waiting on is for you to activate that salvation by faith. Can I get a witness today? You're safe. Don't allow the enemy to discourage you into thinking that you're almost there. Or you're not quite there. Or that if you jump through a few more hoops. Or maybe attend the Connect in 60 class. Or maybe become a member of the church. Then you'll be saved. No, it's by faith. It's God's grace. You're saved. You you can put that helmet of salvation on. When the enemy tries to discourage you. And you're standing with God. The Bible says that right now. We are seated with God. In the heavenly places. Now in the flesh. I'm right here in the struggle. But in the spirit. I am seated with God. In the heavenly places. Places. I'm saved. But I'm also being saved. And what that means is that right now, today, by being in this house, by listening to the word of God, you and I, we are growing in faith. The Bible says we grow from grace to grace in ever increasing measure. One of these days we're going to stand before God and and we're going to be perfect in his image. But it's a process. Amen. It's a process. Look at somebody and say, you're not quite there yet. Yes, you're saved, but you're being saved. Thank God I don't struggle with the same things I struggled with as a teenager. I still struggle. But God is, God is saving me. God is, He's good, He's gracious, and He's redeeming me. Even today, as we sang Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Didn't you just sense His grace flooding your soul again? It doesn't mean you had to get saved in that moment, but you just felt it was like it was brand new. God is saving me. But let me tell you something else. The hope of salvation is not just something that God did one time in my life. And it's not just something that he's doing today. The hope of salvation is a future hope. Corinthians calls it a blessed hope. It's the reality that on my darkest day, in my lowest point, no matter what I'm facing, I can put on the hope of salvation and know that one day, Despite what the devil tries to do about it, the reality is faith is going to become sight and I'm going to unbuckle the chin strap and I'm going to exchange the helmet of salvation for a crown. Amen. Amen. Can we give God praise today? That's the hope of salvation. That's the helmet that God has given us to wear. Now, are you ready to play offense? Come on. I mean, for four weeks now, we've been talking about defensive weapons. We've been talking about uh, having a, a belt of truth on and, and our feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel and a, a breastplate of righteousness and a shield of faith and a helmet of salvation. But how many want to play offense? Let's look at this verse again in Ephesians 6, verse 17. The second half of it tells us about an offensive weapon that we have. It's called the sword of the Spirit. 
Let me explain this to you. The Roman soldier that, that Paul may have been looking at when he wrote this, he carried a sword, but the sword it was not like a, a big, you know, long sword that you might picture. It was actually short. It was a short, pointed sword, and it was designed for use in close combat. Because it's true that the enemy is going to launch fiery darts against you. But sometimes he comes in. And we got to get involved in some hand-to-hand combat. Sometimes the devil wants to attack your life up close and personal. And there's only one way in those moments to resist the devil. And the way that we resist the devil is with the sword of the Spirit. Now the best example of anybody using the armor of God to defeat the schemes of the enemy happens to be Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 4, the Bible talks about when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was facing temptation. In fact, I want to just turn to that story really quick. You can go there with me. Hold your place in Ephesians. But in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus engaging in spiritual warfare. The Bible says, now Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And so in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 4, the Bible says the tempter, it's another name for the devil, he came to him and he said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He tempted Jesus. But here's Jesus' response. This is the sword of the spirit in operation. Verse 4 of Matthew 4. Jesus answered, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Round one, over. Jesus won, devil nothing. He took the word of God. He was quoting from Deuteronomy. He quoted the word of God and he resisted the devil. And then the Bible says the devil came back a second time and he, and he tempted him again. And this time the devil actually used the word of God. To try to tempt Jesus. He, he twisted the scriptures. And yet again, down in verse 7 of that same passage, it says, Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Round two, Jesus. The devil comes a third time, the Bible says, takes him to another situation, another temptation. And he comes at Jesus again. And it says down in verse 10 that Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written. I love that he said, for it is written. Not away from me, Satan, because I don't like you. Away from me, Satan, because I have the sword of the Spirit available to me that you cannot come against. You can say the same thing. Away from me, Satan, For it is written. And Jesus said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Listen, we've talked about a lot of schemes of the devil in the last few Sundays. One of them is division. Satan wants to bring division in your heart. He wants your loyalties to be divided. But we put on the belt of truth. Truth means integrity. It means wholeness. Everything's together. When we put on the belt of truth, we have girded up the loins of our mind and our thinking. And and we are worshiping the Lord, as we said earlier, with our heart, soul, mind and strength. Everything comes together in the belt of truth. 
Satan not only wants to bring division in our hearts and minds and in our church, but he wants to denounce us. He's the accuser of the brethren, the Bible said. He accuses us. That's why the Bible communicates to us that not only do we, uh, do we have this belt of truth, but we also have a, a breastplate that protects us. Because the enemy wants to denounce who we are in Christ. The Bible tells us that we're not who we are in Christ because of what we can do. We are who we are in Christ because of what Jesus has done. It's not our righteousness that gives us the privilege of worshiping God today. It's not our righteousness that puts us all in the room together. It's His righteousness on our behalf. And we put that promise on as a breastplate when the enemy comes to denounce us. Not only does he denounce us, the Bible says he wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy us. That's his plan. 1 Peter 5.8 To steal, kill, and destroy. But the Bible says that we've been prepared with shoes of preparation in the gospel of peace. That's what the shoes are in Ephesians 6. They prepare us in the gospel so that when the enemy wants to destroy us, the Bible says this, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But Jesus also said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. So the foundation that we stand on is the gospel of peace. It's how we get our footing when the enemy tries to destroy us. We talked about doubt. The enemy wants to bring doubt into our hearts and into our minds. He wants us to doubt our salvation. He wants us to doubt God's goodness in our life. But the Bible says when those fiery darts come in, we lift up the shield of faith. Faith is a shield. And we lift up a confidence in who God is, of, of what God says we can have. And the promise in Ephesians 6 is that we will extinguish every fiery dart of the enemy because we have the shield of faith. Doubt can't defeat us. Now we've talked about discouragement this morning and how the enemy wants to war against our minds with discouraging thoughts. But God has given us a helmet of salvation, a helmet of victory. It's the hope of salvation. We renew our minds in Christ Jesus every day. Can I tell you what one of Satan's biggest schemes are? One of his biggest schemes that he comes against us with is denial. The enemy wants to deny the truth of God's word. He wants to deny the existence of God. He wants to deny the, the miracles that Jesus can do. He wants to deny the resurrection of Jesus. He's working to deny your faith, your trust in God. He's launching a fiery dart against us. But God has given us the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. The sword of the Spirit protects us. The sword of the Spirit is how we counterattack the schemes of the enemy. Denial was the very first weapon of choice that the enemy used in Genesis 3. You remember the story, Adam and Eve are in the garden. God's blessed them with everything. He's given them dominion over the earth. He said, you can eat from any tree in the garden except the tree in the middle of the garden. And then the enemy shows up in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And here's what he says. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? 
And to her credit, Eve knew what God said. She knew the word of God. And so she responds. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. She had it down pretty good. She knew exactly what God said. But here's the enemy's schemes. He comes in denying God's word. In verse 4, he says, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman. And all of a sudden, just that seed of denial, she began to doubt what God really said. See, Jesus said this. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's why the enemy works overtime to get you to deny the truth. Because the truth unlocks our freedom in Christ. Can I just tell you today that owning a Bible is not enough. You can't say, I've got the sword of the Spirit because one of these sits in the backseat of your car all week. Can I tell you, even memorizing verses of Scripture is not enough. That's not how you use the sword of the Spirit. It's good to memorize the Word of God, but to just memorize it's not enough. And I can say that because the truth is, the devil memorized the Bible. He knows it better than you. Knows it better than me. He even used the Scriptures to try to deceive Jesus. The Pharisees could quote the scripture. They used the Bible to condemn Jesus. And you probably have some some friends or co-workers, people that you work with, they've used the Bible against you to to validate a a, a sinful habit or lifestyle or choice. And they say, yeah, but doesn't the Bible say... And so to just know the word of God is not enough. You have to remember that the sword of the Spirit is the sword... Of the Spirit. Capital S. The Holy Spirit. How do I use this weapon of the sword of the Spirit? You know, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired the Bible. He's the one that that breathed life on the pages. The Bible says that all scripture, it didn't come from man or prophets. It was spoken by God. And it was carried along by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who brought us the word of God. Not only that, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the one that teaches us the word. John 14, or John 16, Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit is the one that guides us with the spirit, the word. Not only that, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the one who reminds us of what we learned. That's what Jesus told the disciples in John 14. He said these words. He said, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send you in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Can I just tell you, church, today, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to use the word of God in spiritual warfare. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 4. In verse 12, last year, this was one of the memory verses for our kids ministry. And I'm so glad that that my three daughters memorized this verse. This is powerful. Here's what it says. Hebrews four and verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any two edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of The heart. 
Listen, the, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. So when you read the word of God, the word of God reads you. And the word of God is a window into God's heart, but it's a mirror into your own heart. And it's the Spirit of God that comes alongside of us. You should never open the Bible and read it without inviting the Holy Spirit into that moment. It's the only book ever written in human history where when you open it at any time in any place, the author is right there to explain to you his intent. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us and guide us into all truth. So now what do we do? I mean, we're all dressed. We got the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth. We got the right shoes on. Now what? How do we fight this battle? And this is where we're going to land today. I want you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. He tells us how we fight. After he says, take the helmet of Salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18 says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and request. With this in mind, he says, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You know, something I I thought was really fascinating about this verse is in the original Greek manuscript, that statement, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, could actually read, by means of praying. In other words, what, what Paul was saying is, put on the helmet of salvation, verse 17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and by means of praying in all circumstances. In other words, now that you're all dressed up, the way that we move in, the way that we take our stand against the schemes of the enemy is through prayer. Prayer, church, prepares us for the battle. It prepares us for the battle. Listen, don't wait until you're in the middle of of an onslaught, of an attack from the enemy before you begin to pray. You ought to pray. That's why I said in all circumstances, not just in the crisis, At all times, with all kinds of prayers, you ought to pray because prayer prepares us for the battle. It's in praying that we put on the armor of God. We're not selling anything out in the foyer for you today to actually put on. We don't even have an armor of God t-shirt to offer you today. I do have an armor of God coin, actually. Trudy and her life group gave me this. This is pretty awesome. I've been carrying this around all week. It's got the armor of God. And I love the the side of it. One side has all the armor of God on it. And then the other side in big bold letters. It says put on the whole armor of God. Pray always. I, I love that on this coin she gave me. The biggest words on the whole thing are pray always. Because it, if you get all dressed up and read this. and You don't pray We're not prepared for the battle. But listen, prayer does not only prepare us for the battle. Prayer is the battle. Prayer is the battle. And our obligation is to stand. We didn't take time to go back from the beginning and and read. But we did give you this handout that has Ephesians 6, 12 and 13 on it. And at the top of that page, it tells us what our obligation is. 
It's to, to stand. It's to stand. The reason our obligation is to take our stand is because we already have the helmet of victory. Jesus has already won for us. The enemy's already been defeated. Now, Satan doesn't want you to live in that victory. He doesn't want you to, to tap into the promises of God. But our obligation is to stand and not allow the enemy to rob us of our inheritance. And so when we pray, we go into battle, not for victory, from victory. And we fight not to gain, but to keep what is ours in Christ Jesus. And so today, we're going to pray. And the reason we've given you this handout is because I just want to challenge you to, to let the Word of God become your prayer prompter. And so we've just put some scriptures on here. And we're going to pray these prayers as we put on together the armor of God. I'm going to challenge you though, as, as we, just before we do that, as we prepare to pray together with one final thought about this. Because in this moment in the service, not just those that need God should be praying. The body of Christ should be praying right now. And, and the Christians ought to be praying right now. And what you ought to be praying first is, God, what do you want to say to me? What, what are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? I'm listening. And you're praying and you're asking God to speak to your heart. But there's another prayer that you're praying. Right now, Christians ought to be interceding. Because you understand that spiritual warfare is happening all around us. That the enemy wants to distract people. He wants to discourage people. He wants to cause doubt and division in their heart. He is working against people because he doesn't want them to discover who God really says they are. So Christians ought to be interceding. They ought to be praying right now. Lord, have your way today. God, do what you want to do today. There's a a third prayer you ought to be praying. You ought to be praying for me. And I can say that unashamedly because Paul said it. In verse 19, he said, pray also for me. That whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. We said this last week in talking about the shield of faith. And how the Roman soldier's uh, shield was designed to link up with the other soldiers. But I want to say it again. We are better together at spiritual warfare. We're better together at spiritual warfare. That's why it says pray for all the saints. Pray all kinds of prayers. Pray all the time. And, And pray for the preacher too. Because when we come together in prayer, there is power. There's power in it. And that's what we're going to do right now. So I want to invite you all over this room to stand with me. Take that piece of paper in hand that we gave you. You know, as we were praying earlier before the service in my office with some of our prayer team, Darlene said, man, as you were praying, I just, I I could hear it in my mind. I could hear the pieces of the armor coming together. I could just hear the clanking of armor and, and, and I just, man, something in me just kind of stirred when she said that. And I hope in your, with your ears of faith, you can sense that today. That God wants to prepare you. Yes, the struggle is real, but guess what? So is your victory. So is your victory. So let's put on the armor of God together as as the people of God. Father, today we're going to put on this belt of truth. 
We're going to put on truth against a heart of division. Truth that speaks of integrity and wholeness. Church, right now, can we just say this verse together out loud? Psalms 86 and verse 11. Come on, let's read it out loud together. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Father, today that's our prayer. Lord, the enemy wants wants me to fear any and everything else. But God, your word says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God, give me an undivided heart today. There's so many things that want to distract us and and divide our loyalties. And not just evil things. Good things, God, can become the enemy of what is your best. When we let those things take priority in our hearts and our lives. But God, you said if we'll seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, then all these other things that we're concerned about, they'll be added. God, you're good. You're faithful. We don't have to stress about that stuff. So God, today, give us an undivided heart. We put on today the belt of truth. And as Hebrews tells us, let us throw off every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. God, if there's anything in our life that's tripping us up, in the same way a soldier would gird up his flowing garments and tuck them in to that belt, God, we want everything in our life that's, that's a, a hindrance to our walk with you. We want to gird it up today. And if it's not of you, God, we want to get rid of it. Give us wholeness of mind. Give us integrity. God, today, give us an undivided heart. And Lord, we put on this breastplate of righteousness. We put it on today. Can we just declare what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says? Come on, let's say it together. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, thank You today that That it's your righteousness and not my own. That Jesus on the cross, you took my sin. That's the hope of salvation. On the cross, you paid my penalty. So that God, I I don't stand here today going toe to toe with the devil. Trying to measure up and trying to say I'm good enough. I'm not good enough. But God, you have robed me in righteousness. You gave me a garment And it's powerful. And it's forged as a breastplate that the fiery darts of the enemy cannot discourage me from my identity in Christ Jesus. I know who I am. I'm robed in your righteousness, God. You've given me this breastplate. Today, God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for my identity that's in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you're here today and, and you love God and you're just discouraged in where you stand with Him, just put it on right now. Put on the breastplate of His righteousness. Be amazed by His grace again. Just begin to thank God that He gave it to you. That you didn't have to earn it. That you never could have. Jesus, thank you for the breastplate of righteousness. Now God, we put on the shoes of the gospel of peace today. Come on, let's declare Isaiah 26 and verse 3 together. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast 
because they trust in you. God, today, I I sense that there are men and women, young and old, all over this room, that the enemy has come against this week, robbing us of our peace, convincing us that the storm would take us under. But God, I thank you that our, our feet are established on a firm foundation. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. When everything else in the world can be and will be shaken, Lord, your word remains. Though heaven and earth pass away, your word stands forever. And so, God, we plant our feet today on the gospel. It is our peace today. Lord, let your peace just flood us and overwhelm us. So much so that even in the midst of the storm, we don't feel rocked. We feel stabilized. There is an anchor that holds us. God, thank you for stability in the war. In the gospel, it's our peace today. Now, Lord, we take up this shield of faith right now. God, we take up a shield of faith. Come on, let's declare Hebrews eleven six together. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. You know what I love about this verse, church? It tells us who God is. We have faith in the person of God. It also tells us what His promises are. It tells us that He has a reward for those that will seek Him. So today, God, right now in the Spirit, we we pick up the shield of faith. We take up faith in who you are and what you said can be ours in Christ's name. God, we put our faith in you today. Despite, despite what we feel, despite what we see, despite the lies of the enemy and the darts that he's firing against us. Thank you today that your word promises us and we declare every fiery dart of the enemy is extinguished today. Every fiery dart. And God, as the people of God, we, we link our shields together. I pray that if there's someone here that doesn't know you, maybe they don't even know that they have faith, God, may they sense right now in the Spirit that they are surrounded by a shield of faith. That though the enemy comes, this is a safe place. Because Lord, we don't do this alone. You've called us to stand together. So God, we link up today our faith in you and in your promises. They're ours in Christ's name. Today, Lord, we put on the helmet of salvation. Come on, church, let's declare what Romans 5, 1 says. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're justified today. We're justified. That means God sees us saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit. We have the helmet of victory and the hope of salvation. Today, God, we put it on. We put on the helmet of salvation. As the enemy wants to discourage us, God, we put on the helmet of salvation. We remember today that we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. He's a defeated foe. We have hope in what you've done, in what you're doing, and the work that is yet to be seen, God. When we stand in your presence and see you face to face, we're saved today. 
God, renew our minds right now against the discouragement that Satan wants to bring. Renew our minds with the helmet of salvation. And God, today we take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's declare together one more time, church, what uh, 2 Corinthians 10.4 says. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. It is written. Amen? When the enemy comes in with his fiery darts, it is written. It is written. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Father, today, we take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Lord, we apply it to our hearts and our lives. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to teach us your Word, to lead us in your Word, to remind us of your Word at the very moment that the enemy comes close enough for hand-to-hand combat. When he gets right up in our life and in our emotions and in our faith, God, we take the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and we stand upon every promise. Thank you, Lord God, for victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Even our faith. Church, as we bring this service to a conclusion, I want to challenge you this week, just as a practical application, to to take these scriptures. Maybe open your Bible up to Ephesians chapter 6 and read through the armor of God. And remember that prayer is preparation for the battle. Ask God what we just did today. God, prepare me today. Remember that prayer is the battle. Father, I pray for your church. As we stand, Lord God, we don't just stand as the redeemed, as the saved, as the delivered, as the healed. God, we stand as the army of the living God. We stand today with confidence and boldness. Your word says that the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. And Lord, it's up to us to take hold of all that is yours. God, let your kingdom be expanded through us. Let the the gates of hell be pushed back through us. Thank you, Lord, for outfitting us and preparing us for the battle. God, we give you praise. Now we ask you, Lord, use us. In the next few days, as we move towards Easter, as we open our doors and our hearts to people that are far from God, Lord, thank you that you have equipped us, you have outfitted us as the body of Christ to do the work that you've called us to do. God, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen.